the brokenness is so hard. Will we be activists instead of assimilate? And I think that's what God is inviting us to. And if we don't want to say yes to that, then I'm not sure what gospel you have said yes to, quite frankly. This modern world is of particular interest to women. Betwixt, at the intersection of faith and culture. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to the Betwixt podcast. I'm Deb Gregory, curator and host. Action or contemplation? Which is better? This pitting of one against another has been a long-standing debate throughout history. Theologians have often used allegorical depictions of biblical women to illustrate this divide. Augustine famously used the two wives of Jacob to articulate his preference. He held up Leah as the model of the fruitful activist life against Rachel as the model of the harder-to-attain contemplative life. Others have set the biblical sisters Mary against Martha. Mary, who sits as a disciple at the feet of Jesus, is identified with contemplation, whilst her sister Martha, who is distracted by her many tasks, represents action. Now, much of this tension came from the Greek idea of contemplation, or theoria. Philosophers describe it this way, contemplation is like a spectator observing the Olympic Games in speechless wonder, while praxis, or action, is the actor physically performing in the arena. So for Aristotle and a lot of Greek-influenced theologians following him, the spectator and the actor, they're both necessary for theater. But contemplation is better because it's more divine-like and it's a source of human happiness. Yet more contemporary philosophers like Hannah Arendt noticed that with the advent of the modern age, particularly through the invention of the telescope, the Protestant Reformation, and the rise of Marxism, that balance has shifted toward a preference for action. Arendt argues that action, particularly speech, is fundamental to freedom, and it has boundless consequences. She said the smallest act in the most limited circumstances bears the seed of the same boundlessness because one deed, and sometimes one word, suffices to change every constellation. And boundless consequences can birth new things Here's the problem. The consequences of our words and actions are completely unpredictable. On one hand, they might change constellations, but if our speech is squelched and devoid of contemplative reflection, it can lead to the destructive powers of what Hannah Arendt called the banality of evil. So for Arendt, contemplation and action are kind of like sisters. They're being present to and acting for the social good. Now. It won't be easy, she says, because the actor always moves among and in relation to other acting beings. He's never merely a doer, but always, and at the same time, a sufferer. Put a bookmark right there, folks, because we're going to come back to this in today's episode. But before we go there, the thing that's really fascinating to me is that there have always been streams within the Christian contemplative tradition that have sought to join these twin values. How might action and contemplation work together to nourish a healthy cycle of growth and formation? How might one lead to the other 
as together they unite us to God's loving presence while deepening our care for the world in which we live. Father Richard Rohr, the founder of the Center of Action and Contemplation, puts it this way, We need both action and contemplation to have a whole spiritual journey. It doesn't matter which comes first, action may lead you to contemplation, and contemplation may lead you to action. And so in the next two episodes, I've invited two women, and I promise I will not pit them against one another. Instead, I want to elevate them both as they illustrate how action and contemplation work together in a holistic spiritual journey. So in today's episode, activist Kathy Kong talks about action in her latest book, Raise Your Voice, Why We Stay Silent and How to Speak Up. And next time, Felina Huritz will talk about contemplation in her new book, Mindful Silence, The Heart of Christian Contemplation. Hi, Deb. Hey, Kathy. How are you? I'm good. I'm in my pajamas. Yes. <laughs> Kathy Kong is a writer, speaker, and yoga instructor who has worked in campus ministry for more than 20 years. She's a co-author of More Than Serving Tea, Asian American Women on Expectations, Relationships, Leadership, and Faith. And she's the author of the new book, Raise Your Voice, which we're going to talk about today. In the intro of your book, you talked about how it was easier to give birth to your children than to the book. (laughs) Yes, yes. So what was that process for you coming to terms with your voice? Like, was it easy for you just to be like, well, this is what I think and this is my experience? Or did you really have to wrestle to kind of figure out what is my actual voice? Yeah, it was so layered and challenging. I was wrestling much like I think just about everyone I know, what it means to have an opinion and have that opinion shut down in different contexts by different people and by different people you trust and respect. And so it's very layered because the messages we get, whether it's in our homes or in our schools or in our churches, in our workplaces, whether you're a man or a woman, all of those things make understanding your voice and how to use it very complicated Mm -hmm. because there are different rules depending on where you are and who you are and who you're with. And so you're always playing this game in your mind of, is it appropriate? Am I going to get in trouble? Do I care if I get in trouble? What's the worst thing that could happen? You know, Mm -hmm. it's this game. But again, I do think that that's a process we're all going through Mm -hmm. and we just don't uh, necessarily find opportunities to talk about it and help one another through that process. Mm -hmm. So who, who did you have in mind when you were writing this book and what's the heart message of it? I didn't want this to be a woman's book. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to target men and women who were at least beginning to see the consequences and the results of when and how they use their voice and what that looks like in different contexts. Hmm. And I made sure that my examples were distinctly female from my perspective as a mom and a wife and a sister. I need and want the men of the church to hear and read words that are written from the voice of a woman and particularly a woman of color because raising your voice has a different cost 
for women and it has a different cost for women of color. And I think we are seeing that in new ways to white audiences. This has been the reality for people of color all along. So I think it's important and I'm glad that there are both men and women picking up the book. One of my favorite quotes from your book, you say, raising your voice is not about creating disruption for disruption's sake. It's always about disrupting something in order to bring about change, something new that better reflects the hope and fullness of the gospel. And you just talked about how raising your voice has different consequences for Mm -hmm. for different people. So why is finding and using our voice so disruptive and risky, especially for women and women of color who find themselves at various margins or intersections? There is always a cost, and we should know that if we are Christians, that there has always been a cost to choose Jesus. With all of the freedoms afforded us here in the United States, we forget how we've kind of bought into all of those cultural norms and biases and these kind of gendered expectations of what is good, right, better, appropriate until something happens that makes us say something that in good company we would not say. (laughs) And then that's when we realize what the cost is. And we see the cost of silence. I think we are seeing the cost of telling women and girls that we are responsible for the behavior of boys and men. And so we are seeing the cost of that bias. And now we are seeing what happens when women raise their voices and say, you know, this happened 5, 10, 15, 30 years ago, Mm -hmm. and how we have decidedly ignored voices. Mm -hmm. That word responsibility has kind of been on my mind lately. (sighs) I grew up Mm -hmm. feeling very responsible for how I might lead another guy into sin or whatever. Um, I feel very responsible for that. But one thing I've never felt responsible for is my own voice. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I was just talking to my husband about this this morning, you know, with this whole hashtag why I didn't report. Yes. And that has just brought up so many memories for me, not only of my own experience, but also the times where I didn't know that there was some responsibility to use my voice. Right. And I was remembering this horrible time in high school where a guy in my class, he was older than me, he was on the football team, he was a jock, he was really popular. Mm -hmm. He was bragging to a few of us about how he had just been down at the beach and he lured a fat girl, is what he said, Mm. under the boardwalk, and he pretty much raped her, and Mm. then he beat her up to teach her a lesson. Oh, Lord. I know, right? And in that moment, I did raise my voice to him and give him, you know, a solid scolding for a high school girl. Right. But it never occurred to me that I could report him. And as I was processing this with my husband, and. I just thought, you know, that would actually have been very unsafe for me because if I was the one who got him in trouble for that and he had showed violence toward this girl to teach her a lesson. Right. But all of that to say I'm learning that I do have responsibility for my voice. And that's just something I had never heard growing up. And it goes back to the cultural norms 
this young man, he had the confidence and felt the freedom to brag about what he had done, right? right? He felt like it was okay to tell people that he had beat up and raped a girl, knowing that there was going to be no consequence for him saying out loud what he had done. And then the responsibility falls on the shoulders of those hearing. And then you feel, Mm -hmm. right, that that very real concern of like, what is the impact to me and that other person when you are in high school, right? You're 14 to 17, 18 years old. And that's an incredible responsibility and burden. Mm -hmm. But what we are told about the impact of using our voice gets so messed up because instead of saying, Using my voice and reporting this is actually for my own safety and for the benefit of this other person. The script we were taught was we should be quiet because something bad could happen to the future of this other person and I can just manage, right? Yeah. And that's what we're seeing. That's the public discussion that's happening right now. And we have allowed so many generations of men get away and not just face the consequences, but also see and experience grace and healing. Because I have to believe that if you are capable of causing that kind of physical and emotional, spiritual pain on someone else, that there is a consequence and impact on your own soul. That's right. And I'm not here to, you know, dismiss and say like, oh, you know, I just wish that they would all have the opportunity to heal and wrap that up with a bow. But the reality is this is so complicated and so hard. Primarily for me, my heart goes out to victims Mm -hmm. and survivors. And what does it look like now that there is a, a bit more space and empowerment? to use our voice in those places, will we not only do that for ourselves, but will we go back to our churches Mm. and encourage those conversations there? What will we teach our children and how will we teach them differently? Mm -hmm. A lot of the focus that I'm really kind of tuned into in the podcast is liminal space, right? Mm -hmm. So as I was reading your book, several times you use the word assimilation. Right. And I was really struck by it because it is kind of an in-between space. It is. And I really loved the way that you drew out the story of Esther and invited us not to just see it from the normal Western way that we always look at this story. Right. But you kind of drew out this struggle with assimilation. Right. You started a chapter with, why knowing thyself and thy roots so significant? So why, why is knowing thyself and thy roots and the struggle with assimilation so important for raising our voice in such a time as this? You know, the story of Esther is often painted kind of like a beauty pageant. Yes and no, because of all the power dynamics and all of the cultural dynamics that are going on. You know, when I learned the story of Esther growing up, We never talked about the fact that she had another name and she was also known as Hadassah. And when I landed on that, I realized she is assimilating and it is liminal space. She is Jewish, but she's hiding that. 
She is Hadassah, but no one can know that. And if she were to actually practice her faith in all of the ways that she grew up with and knew in her bones, people would find her out. And yet she still is Jewish. She can hide it and she can be in the palace and she can be protected in that way. But when her people are threatened with genocide, she has to decide, is she going to forever be Esther? And even if she stayed Esther, would that protect her? I do think that it is more difficult for white Christians to relate to that because of the generations of assimilation and the not knowing necessarily what your roots are. Hmm. Now, it's not to say all white Christians do not know their roots. <laughs> but depending on your immigration story, you lose that connection. And because I immigrated as an infant, and because my parents are immigrants, and I grew up in an immigrant church, my roots are not very deep here in the U.S. Mm. So that understanding of who I am and where I come from and what my name means is just on the surface. Mm. To you, I'm Kathy Kong, mm -hmm. but to my parents and to my family, I'm always going to be Kang Yonga, which is my Korean name. And so that's, I think, where that tension of assimilation fits mm -hmm. in that liminal space. I am never American enough mm -hmm. because of the way I look, mm -hmm. because of my last name, because I am a naturalized citizen. I am never enough. If I were to go back to Korea, there's a term for people like me. It's kyopot. And so I'm not actually fully Korean. I haven't been back to Korea in 30 years, maybe 30 plus years. And I still remember when I met and stayed with my family in Korea, they would say, the minute I opened my mouth, even though I was speaking Korean, they knew I was also American. Even the way I dressed and walked and carried myself, I was distinctly not Korean. And so that sense of assimilation is very much on the surface for me, very much on the surface for immigrants and people of color because of the way we intentionally and unintentionally define American. And that is translated into our churches. Yeah. There are the unspoken rules in whatever church you attend. Things like church started right on time. And that meant church ended right on time. And you could count on like a certain number of songs and then you'd go into announcements. And I grew up in a immigrant church and then went to a second generation Korean American, Asian American church where the start time really kind of meant the sort of start time. And <laughs> you would sing until more people showed up because you didn't want to start without most everyone there. That's right. And so, you know, different rules of engagement, different ways of honoring tradition and custom and values. Mm -hmm. It isn't that one set is right or wrong. Mm -hmm. 
it's that most people don't understand that there are different rules yeah. and different values. Hospitality just looks different. <laughs> Wait, it looks so different. That's why I have a basket of scoopers at my front door and recognizing, you know, some of my friends are just used to walking in with their shoes. And as a host, am I willing to flex with that and then furiously clean my floors after they leave? And then you add the dimension of raising your voice. And so you don't know what your footing is, even when you know what the rules of engagement are. Mm. Because in that community, in that space, in that church, they may just never have encountered a strong, opinionated Korean-American woman. And they just don't know what to do with me. Mm. Or they're surprised at the observations I make. That's right. So in some ways, there's, there's a risk and there's also benefit to kind of being in between, right? Oh. You can see, <laughs> you see things differently and can provide a perspective that hopefully is helpful for change. Right. I, I'd like to think of myself and others, particularly people of color, immigrants, refugees. We're bilingual. <laughs> Literally, sometimes we are bilingual. And culturally, we are bicultural because we are constantly having to learn how to speak white American and what that means to live in that space, even though that is not who we are. And to speak that then in the context of the church. Mm -hmm. And so we know how to name things in ways that folks who grew up in that have never had to name because that's the water they've always been swimming in. Whereas those of us who have had to assimilate We've actually been told what our space looks like hmm. and what our values look like and then translate that into the spaces that we go into. Yeah. Not only did you talk about assimilation, but you kind of juxtaposed that with activism. Mm -hmm. These are two opposite things. Assimilation is just kind of like trying to blend in. Right. Trying to <laughs> find right. a place of peace and non-disruption. Exactly. But activism is this call to action. Mm -hmm. And as I think about that with the church, particularly the church in the West, where, you know, faith and politics are so entangled, our pop culture churches kind of absorb us further into pop culture yes, rather than serving as a sanctuary where we can kind of refocus and enter into a story and into a way that might be oppositional to culture. Right. So why is raising our voice, especially for people of faith, just so mm -hmm. important when it comes to like this tension that we feel between do we assimilate to culture or do we resist the cultural movements? Right. I grew up hearing the phrase, we are in the world, but not of the world. And growing up, I always thought, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> we are both. I think of how, as people of faith, and how our churches have assimilated into the world. If we don't like the things of the world, we create our version of it. And oftentimes, to be honest, our version of it is not great because we're so afraid to be perceived as being part of the world. And so I think that that's where that 
liminality and that balance and tension come in is to say, what does it look like to be completely free in who we've been created to be and become by God and create and be active in this world, not siloed off, not hiding in our churches. What does it look like to actually wrestle with the things that we say we believe in and live that out in the world and push back on some of the things that are out there and maybe even push back on the things that we see in our churches that we have assimilated as good Christian behavior, but maybe are actually remnants of our assimilation into the world that somehow we don't actually want to stand out that much. And then when we do stand out, it's not for our love. (laughs) (laughs) When we present ourselves as honestly as we can, I think that's when we are much more likely to be beautiful to draw people into conversations about who God is and what God's doing. Yeah, and that leads us to freedom, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. The brokenness is so hard to see, but will we be the people who can walk in that space, who can be activists instead of assimilate? So how do we do it? <laughs> how do we use our voices meaningfully? You you kind of talk about um, IRL in real life, yes, and in social media, and uh, you also talk about what is it your your underwear family and your yes the holiday family. <laughs> the two big categories in real life and social media. I mean, for many of us, it's a lot easier to throw out our opinions on social media versus at the dinner table or at Thanksgiving. It's just easier to stay quiet. And that goes for me as well. And so my advice to folks is pray. Pray before you are in any situation where you are faced with the opportunity of choosing to use your voice or not. And I do think that there's a value to practicing a script. Hmm. There are ways in which we can practice saying in our minds out loud what it is we disagree with, why we disagree with those things, and what is the alternative. That helps you prepare for those moments where someone you love, someone you respect, someone you will see more than once in real life says something that is so offensive, you are rattled and you freak out. And then you pray and you catch your breath and you've already practiced the script. Hmm. You already know what to say. You've already decided These are the ways in which I'm going to risk raising my voice. And these are the ways in which I choose not to. Sometimes you don't want to break the relationship at Thanksgiving. (laughs) Maybe you want to ease into that and you want to open up a conversation instead of placing your stake in the ground. But I do encourage people to always be in prayer. Mm. What is it that you're inviting me to say or do or be? God. Mm -hmm. Is it to listen? Is it to say something? And then to practice that script because it's never convenient Mm -hmm. and you will always be caught off guard. 
That is such great advice. As people experience this tension in trying to be activists and raise their voice, mm -hmm. there is such a space of dissonance where they feel like they're losing some of their old mm -hmm. friends, but they're not really mm -hmm. integrated in a new community that they are right. trying to amplify their voices. What words of encouragement would you give to people who, as you say, have some compassion fatigue or activist sure. fatigue? Yes, particularly to my white siblings who are walking into this space pretty new. This is part of what we've all been taught, right? Sometimes the cross is heavy. Mm. And sometimes the burden is light. <laughs> right? It is that tension and that liminal space that is challenging but is so important, in part because the white evangelical church, it has been a great teacher of dichotomy of black, white, right, wrong, and no in-between, no gray. And I think that there is so much of that liminal gray space, that unknown, that is hard to walk in when you feel like you are losing friends and family, mm -hmm. when you feel like you are losing everything that you have known. And I would encourage those siblings to move and press even further into that space mm -hmm. because there's so much that is unknown, right? We are people who say, Jesus was crucified on Friday and resurrected on Sunday. So we want to be Sunday people. But what happened in between? We don't know. And I think that's what God is inviting us to. And I do think that that is something that I am still learning to understand, that there is so much I don't know by listening to the stories of my immigrant parents and friends who are refugees, right? That that is part of the invitation. And if we don't want to say yes to that, then I'm not sure what gospel you have said yes to, quite frankly. And so I put that out there for my white siblings in the church. And that activist fatigue looks different for people of color because this is a reality that we have been living in that we can't avoid because of our names, our skin, our realities in this very racialized country. That's right. That fatigue looks different. And for us, I say, yeah, you know, sometimes maybe you do need to unfriend and then choose when to re-engage when you know that you are in a better place spiritually, mentally, physically, and for everyone, this does take a toll on us, particularly the last few years have taken quite a toll for people of color. And so for those siblings, I say, yeah, you need a break. And it's like a relay race, a really long relay race where you do not have to run this alone. You are not carrying the baton alone, mm -hmm. that there are others who are taking up the baton and uh, will catch up to you, or maybe you need to slow down so that someone can catch up to you. It's not the perfect analogy, but it's what I got right now. <laughs> um, and for all of us, I think this is the invitation of the gospel. I think it is the invitation of the gospel to walk in those liminal spaces, to learn how to use your voice 
if we say we are evangelists, how can we do that? We can use our voice, whether it's our physical voice or the love that we show the world around us. Or art, or yoga. Yes, yes, <laughs> all of those things. All of those things, yes. Yeah, that's so good. Would you be willing to share maybe a little bit more personally about the toll that it's taken for you? Sure. Um, personally, I've had to be really on top of my mental health. So I have depression and anxiety and have had to, over the last few years, been very honest with my husband and children and colleagues, my doctor, my therapist, in a way that I never thought I needed to because I thought it was all under control. I have had to talk to my doctor and ask, uh, do I need to up my meds? I'm really not feeling right. I've had to really wrestle with that feeling and that reality of losing friendships mm -hmm. and losing community. And that's hard because it also means I have to juggle whether or not I'm liked. And sometimes you're just not going to be liked. That's also been the cost mm -hmm. of managing really awful comments and emails. And do I need to worry about physical safety right. when I go to different places and say different things. So that's exhausting. What we do in life takes a toll spiritually and physically. I've also had to manage the reality of how this plays out in family, to not have to carry the anger and the disappointment and then bring that into my parenting and my marriage. Mm -hmm. For those of us who have a smartphone, the temptation is to always be engaged. That's also been one of the things that I've had to wrestle with yeah. is to shut it off that's right. and to make new boundaries to stay healthy. I think that's so important. And I don't know, maybe you could talk to us introverts out there who are <laughs> like, it is not a joy for me to just raise my voice. Honestly, right. it was a big deal for me to even do this podcast. Can I do it anonymously? Like I, <laughs> because I'd rather right. just be in my hammock reading a book. And sure. I know that I have the luxury that I could do that. But that's right. not the reality of exactly. most of the world. But one of my hesitations as an introvert who prefers silence <laughs> and quiet mm -hmm. is how do we even go about raising our voice when the world seems so noisy? I mean, mm -hmm. why, why would I even add to the noise? Yes, it is very noisy out there. It's always been noisy out there. It will continue to be noisy out there. I believe that the invitation there is, what are the ways in which you've been uniquely created to hold that space and to be the person I recognize as an extrovert I may draw energy from being around people, but I also value the silence and the solitude. But we are still created in community. So for introverts, where is the community that you are in and that you've been invited to be in and that you are being 
challenge to enter into? And what are the ways in which perhaps it is not your literal voice that you can be using? I do write about that because I recognize my preferred method or mode is actually writing, which is silent, Mm -hmm. quiet, and I can do it all alone in my home office. (laughs) But it is also art. It is also creating. So what are the things and spaces and relationships you are creating that speak to justice, that speak to the hope God gives and offers us in the ways that are easy and maybe a little challenging for you as an introvert who wants to be in your hammock? Okay, well, what are you reading? Who are the voices you are being influenced by? Are there new voices and new things that you are learning and being challenged by that you may not want to talk about with a crowd, but you could talk about and introduce on your podcast? You can post something on your website. I think that those are the ways that don't necessarily require you to say a single word, but that doesn't absolve introverts from actually speaking and using their physical voice when given the opportunity, just like I tell extroverts, it doesn't give you the pass to not be the thing that you want to say the world needs to become, right? Mm. I can talk all I want about raising your voice, but if I'm not actually practicing that in the way I parent, in the way I am a friend, or a wife, or a teacher, right? All of those things, if I don't embody that, then it is noise. What I am saying is noise, and what you create is noise. That's right. Such wisdom. Thank you. Oh, well, is there anything else that you would love to chime in about, particularly the topic of liminality? Mm. I love the topic. I love the word and have been using it for probably 15 years. Mm. And I think especially for women, Mm. we are that liminal space. We have that in our bodies and what our bodies do and then don't do or maybe never do. And it's not always a scary space. Mm. I think the liminality and that in-between is so beautiful Mm. because it can be defined with very soft edges. Mm. It's a very inviting space, particularly for women with all that is going on in the world, to embrace that place and to hold that well for other women. Can you describe what liminality means to you and why you think women hold that space? Uh, liminality is all of the in-between. That for women, we are girls who are taught about all of the dangers and the potential and the risk of becoming women. In that, there is both power and there is also an incredible powerlessness. For me, liminality is a way of being. That's the space I am, who I am, where I walk, because of the multiple views I can hold at any given time. 
we learn as women to watch out for the men, but also to protect them, but also be women all at the same time. And so that's what liminal space means to me. That's just the way of being. I think of it as a very powerful space because it gives us so much insight and the potential for so much empathy and action and change. I appreciate the way that you do listen and the way that you do hold that liminal space open and invite us into and to help us to see it as a not just a dangerous space, mm-hmm. but as a, a space where we can flourish yes. and enact change yes. through the way that we see hope for the future, right? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart and your story with me and your book with everyone. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. What I love about Kathy Kong and her work is how love drives her to action for the sake of shalom, for wholeness and peace. So I want to end by sharing a little vocal exercise that I think articulates all of this really well. This comes from a contemplative exercise led by Julie Tai. It was recorded during the 2019 Brem Conference at Fuller Seminary. It was entitled Worship, Theology, and the Arts in a Divided World. Julie starts by speaking the word shalom. So what we're going to do is a, is a simple chant. We're just going to chant the word shalom. And as we do, really think about the places and spaces that need shalom. Shalom not just meaning our flat language of peace. It's an embodied word. It's a disruptive word. And we don't get to see the completeness of shalom until all of us are at the table. So we're going to embody that now. It's very simple. I'm just going to start us off, and you're going to join me in unison. And after about singing that three times, I invite you to find any note you want to see, and there's no wrong note. There's never a wrong note. Dissonance is great. It's beautiful. Sit in the mess of that. And just pick a note and sing it. Change notes. Listen to what your neighbor is doing. Listen to what's being done across the room. All right. Let's try it together. Shalom, join me in unison. Shalom, shalom. One more time. Shalom, sing your harmonies.
In the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Betwixt Podcast. You can find more Betwixt episodes and view our show notes at betwixtpodcast.com or you can visit my partners at missyoualliance.org. Missio Alliance is resourcing a church reimagined for a world recreated. Thank you to everyone who has subscribed and given Betwixt a positive review on iTunes or Google Play. If you haven't done that yet, please consider taking a minute to help me out. This really is the fuel of podcasts, and it makes a big difference. Special thanks to my friends Rivoli for sharing the music that you hear now. You can check them out at ryvoli.com or Facebook slash Rivoli. Hey, it has been a real pleasure to produce this podcast for you. Thank you for holding liminal space with me today. Catch you next time.